Pacific friends, Ben Bohane here with another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. Today we're talking about transnational crime in the Pacific, and I'm joined by Jose Sousa Santos, whose heritage is Timorese, but he's worked with Australian and New Zealand law enforcement agencies over the years, looking at transnational crime across the Pacific. Jose is also a Pacific Policy Fellow with the Australia Pacific Security College and works with us on a range of security challenges in the region. And beaming in from Fiji is Tavita Tupo, currently a lecturer at the University of the South Pacific with a background in customs, immigration and border security. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. This is the first of two episodes looking at transnational crime in the Pacific. And this first step will mainly focus on the drug trade, while part two continues our conversation by looking at other elements of transnational crime, such as human trafficking and the way some criminal groups are using legitimate businesses to cover their tracks. Now, the Pacific Islands have long been considered a remote region and far from the global centres of organised crime. Yet increasingly it appears that Pacific nations are being targeted by global crime syndicates for drugs and people smuggling in particular. I'd like to start today with a general overview of the situation. Jose, what do you consider to be the main issues when it comes to transnational crime in the Pacific? Thanks, Ben. Um, That's a great question to start with. Transnational crime is one of the most serious security issues facing the Pacific Islands region. For that reason, it was identified as one of the four key challenges in the Pacific Islands Forum 2018 Boy Declaration on Regional Security. Over the past two decades, the Pacific has seen a significant increase in the trafficking of methamphetamines, cocaine and precursors. Increased connectivity within and across the Pacific has enhanced economic opportunities, but also exacerbated the Pacific's vulnerabilities. Methamphetamine, Heroin, cocaine trafficking is on the rise. And the Pacific Islands have become a production site and trafficking destination as well as trafficking thoroughfare. This is critically important because transnational crime is a cross-cutting threat to development, security and governance in the Pacific. Illicit drugs increase in security, impair development progress and exacerbate vulnerability in the Pacific Islands region. It is therefore both a traditional security and a human security issue. And Jose, you've been involved personally, you know, with a lot of law enforcement agencies. So again, is there a particular aspect of transnational crime that that you think tops the list in terms of concerns for the region? I think one of the biggest issues uh, to look at is currently, you know, in in the COVID situation, we have uh, uh, certain sectors of the the population which are under uh, severe economic duress. And that does create a perfect storm situation where transnational criminal syndicates have a large pool from which to recruit from. Uh, and that, that enables them to reach into areas and into agencies and government departments, uh, which previously they would not be able to. And also to increase their numbers, to increase um, their capability to have facilitators on the ground to, uh, to, faci- to facilitate their activities through the region. And Tavita, what are your impressions of the main transnational crime concerns for the region? Uh, And since you're in Fiji, perhaps you can speak to some of the issues that are directly facing Fiji in this regard. 
Yeah, thank you, Ben. Firstly, uh, thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I'd like to uh, acknowledge the college for, for this, and uh, also my uh, good colleague, Jose, um, for today. And like what Jose said, uh, you know, talking about drugs today, uh, and I think uh, taking the Fiji context, uh, it's, it's something that uh, right now, uh, Fiji being the hub of the Pacific, uh, apart from battling COVID, we, we are we're actually um, struggling with the issue of drugs, meaning that, um, you know, at one time, marijuana used to be a big issue for us, but we've seen over the years an increase in, in synthetic drugs, uh, methamphetamine, cocaine, and, and now heroin. Or what's alarming for us is just the social harm it creates. Uh, you know, looking at numbers right now, we, um, uh, for us, uh, and, and, and COVID has just, just uh, put this on steroids. Uh, is that, you know, we've got 20% of, of, of our population that lives in informal settlement. They have become super spreaders for COVID. They have, uh, you know, uh, the level of infestation on the, the criminal types. The level of vulnerability that's there uh, for us just makes it more difficult for us to be able to address. They have become breeding ground. And uh, in terms of organized crime and things like this, they, they, they latch on. Uh, this level of these types of vulnerability and then for us in Fiji right now it's, it's a, uh, while it's a challenge it's also an opportunity for us to see that uh, government takes a more holistic approach and it's something that I'll, I'll, I'll talk on later on on, on the approach that Fiji is taking uh, around you know addressing the issue of drugs not the, the traditional approach. Yeah Tavita interesting point I mean it was my impression that for a long time global drug syndicates move their drugs through Pacific states and quietly stockpile them there to send down in small batches to the lucrative Australia and New Zealand market. Um, and my impression was in the past, they didn't want to create any local markets in the islands in order to keep this activity secret. Uh, but that seems to have changed now. Are you seeing Fiji become a market and a producer itself? As you say, once upon a time, it was just marijuana grown locally that was the main concern. But now it seems meth, ice, cocaine, even heroin are turning up on the local market there. And I've seen, I've even seen reports that there are some meth labs operating in Fiji. Is that true? Yeah, and, and, and let me, thank you, thank you for that. And that's, you know, let, let me just provide a, a broad perspective around that because, you know, you rightfully said it, uh, you know, marijuana at one time was, was, we still battle marijuana now. However, uh, given the nature of drugs, the addictive nature of drugs, you know, is the just the level of Fiji being the hub, the level of conveyance that's been uh, happening around here, uh, and and just the, the development over the years. Um, unfortunately, uh, that has seeped into the economy, and over the years that have grown, you, uh, the addictive nature has has somewhat penetrated the young people, the youth. The, the culture that's here and even uh, further up uh, in, in society, those that can afford to uh, to buy this type of drugs. And, and that has, over time, uh, the, the battle that we have right now. Uh, and, and that's why I said, you know, the, the approach to this uh, for Fiji moving forward is, is not the traditional approach. Uh, it's a multi-pronged approach in, in how we'll how we'll address it because you know we've we've seen that the purely law enforcement approach cannot cannot address the issue and that you know it's, as we discussed this i'll talk more about this you know and we're hoping that uh, you know through the through the pacific island forum and this is something that 
and the, the security college and how we can uh, regionalize or maybe coordinate some of these efforts around, around uh, addressing some of these problems. And in terms of, you know, those, the reports around local labs, do you get the sense that they're being created by external organized crime groups or are these local Fijian crime groups that are trying to create local markets and, and produce drugs locally? I think over the years, uh, it, it's uh, what we like to call the BOT, build, operate, transfer. Uh, you know, the skills to to be able to operate uh, labs uh, domestically by the skill set that's there. Uh, they've taken on new skills. You know, you've got uh, young people who can learn things off the net. Uh, they've been, those that uh, were here have been part of that skills. That has, uh, you know, taken different shape and form. Uh, and, and given the, the, the nature of, of, of math, and uh, this, this has, uh, uh, and plus other factors, um, somewhat grown over the years. Jose, coming back to you, is that, uh, is that your impression too, in terms of this evolution of transnational crime from, you know, external players to, to them linking up with local syndicates and developing local markets in the islands? Um, and if so, what, what do you see is the impact locally? Um, I think there's, there's two points that, that I'd like to make. One's to follow on from uh, my colleague Tavita, which is you know, uh, one of the most concerning but ine- inevitable consequences of transnational crime in the region has been that illicit drug trafficking along the Pacific Drug Highway has spilled over in, uh, to generate domestic markets. The impact on society and security is significant. Uh, this has led to rising drug addiction, has contributed to an increase in mental health issues, unsafe and risky sexual behaviours. Intravenous drug use has led to a rise in HIV AIDS and other communicable diseases. For example, in Tonga, 30 to 40% of mental health hospital admissions have been linked to drug addiction. Many Pacific health systems lack the necessary resources to provide appropriate and qualified treatment to combat the addiction and health complications caused by methamphetamine use. A health advocate in Fiji that I spoke to cited an increasing number of girls and young women prostituting or exchanging exchanging sexual favours for drugs, and that is linked to uh, internal uh, human smuggling. There is also a clear correlation between the drug trade and domestic violence, and the incidence of drug-related domestic violence is rising. In Tonga, for example, 34 cases of drug-related domestic violence were reported in 2019 as compared with 11 in 2017. These numbers may seem small, uh, but remember that they are reported stats and as we know, domestic violence is always underreported. From a security perspective, the development of local markets has in turn led to the growth of local and hybrid Indigenous networks and gangs, which are becoming increasingly significant security actors across the local criminal landscape. As I mentioned before, there is clear evidence that there's been a growth in local hybrid Indigenous network, networks and gangs. Moreover, there does appear to be an explicit link between criminal deportees and the growth in the drug market in the Pacific, creating hybrid transnational local networks. The criminal deportee policies of Australia, New Zealand and the US is a significant contributor to the growth in transnational crime in the Pacific. The majority of deportees from these countries have criminal records uh, and are removed from Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, the Federated States of Micronesia, Marshall Islands and from Australia to New Zealand. The lack of support for deportees in their home countries renders many especially vulnerable to turn or return to crime and drug smuggling, 
This is particularly apparent when deportees are not accepted or integrated into into their local communities and create their own support uh, mechanisms and power structures. A number of deportees bring their links to the gangs and diaspora from their host countries into the Pacific. So, yeah, deport, deportations are, are becoming a big issue and potentially a driver for local gang activity. Is that the way you see it? Exactly. And they're adding a series of different facets which the, the Pacific is not uh, used to dealing with or regional law enforcement. Uh, for example, these, the, these deportees have links to uh, the United States for the deportees, have links to the Tongan Crip Gang, the Sons of Samoa, the Tonga style gangsters uh, uh, have all had members deport, uh, deported to the Pacific, uh, and you know links to Australian outlaw motorcycle groups, um, ethnic uh, criminal networks. So, and because of the small population size of the Pacific Island countries and territories, the impact on communities and the state itself of these deportations can be significant. Do we have any idea of, of numbers? Are we talking about dozens of former gang members being deported back to home islands? from each of these, you know, Australia, New Zealand, the US each year? Are we talking dozens, hundreds or thousands? Uh, we don't have the numbers from the US, uh, but uh, the the numbers from Australia and New Zealand vary. Um, currently, uh, with uh, the COVID uh, lockdown, uh, and especially with, uh, with the fact that the, the, apart from Fiji uh, and PNG, most of the Pacific region does not um, have COVID uh, in, uh, in Pacific states there has been a slowdown in the deportation uh, of Australian and New Zealand uh, Pacific Islands back to uh, their countries of origin. Um, so it's hard to, to get the data. And in uh, 20, 2020, 2021, uh, the numbers have definitely slowed down. This is some historical numbers. From 2012 to 2019, Tonga, there has been 200 uh, deportees in over the years. Eh? So that's 2012 to 2019. So, you know, like what Jose is saying, uh, 200 um, not even born in Tonga, uh, coming in, uh, the only thing that they know is crime. Uh, you know, the level of disruption uh, to at the social side of things, you know, it, it is just, uh, it's far-reaching. And we've seen that over the years. And that the, the number from 2012 to 2019 is, is what we had. I uh, don't know what the number is now, but that's that's basically uh, what, uh, what it looks like. So they're considerable numbers by the sounds of it. Jose, I just wanted to pick up on, you know, this point around the evolution of gangs operating in the region. Uh, it used to be the case that they were really focused just on local petty crime. But do you see evidence that increasingly local gangs are working more and more with international cartels and using those links to, to bring drugs and get involved in other activity? This is an issue that uh, both Tavita and myself have been following and tracking for uh, for uh, several years now, uh, and definitely what we are seeing is a professionalisation uh, of these uh, what were amateurish uh, gangs, uh, criminal networks, into more professional uh, uh, criminal groups, uh, and the danger is that they're also starting to link across the region, uh, and we're starting to see the beginning of uh, what we'd call in, uh, hybrid indigenous uh, criminal syndicates. And these syndicates are supported uh, by transnational criminal uh, organisations to uh, to have uh, these type of syndicates and this interconnectivity by these uh, indigenous criminal syndicates in the region facilitates the uh, operations uh, of these transnational criminal syndicates. Uh, it also facilitates uh, by having uh, a greater reach into uh, 
law enforcement, the infiltration of law enforcement, government and other agencies. It also uh, facilitate, facilitates the movement of drugs, uh, the gathering of intelligence prior to operations against international criminal syndicates. So we are seeing a, a morphing, an evolution uh, of these groups uh, as they as they uh, connect uh, with uh, outside uh, uh, traditional criminal syndicates, but also impacted by the deportee uh, influx as they bring in a new set of skills uh, and contacts which previously were not uh, uh, part of the, the Pacific uh, uh, crime landscape. Do you think the Pacific is is also targeted by these major global syndicates because it's perceived to be a region that's that's off the radar in terms of global crime um, and therefore it can go a bit more undetected in our region? The Pacific is situated along a maritime corridor utilised for legitimate trade between major economic markets located along the Asian and American borders of the Pacific Rim. So the region has uh, principally been a transshipment hub for drugs. Borders are porous, there are many small islands which can be used to deposit drugs for collection later, as we have seen in PNG, Fiji and Tonga over the past few years. And law enforcement, uh, regional law enforcement, uh, is often behind the eight ball. Uh, the Pacific is therefore valuable to Asian organised crime syndicates, Mexican and South American cartels and Australian criminal uh, actors, uh, not just as a, um, a trafficking hub uh, uh, or, or line from the Americas to Australia and New Zealand, uh, but also as a line uh, of, uh, of trafficking for precursors from Asia to the Americas. So the, the, the risk to the Pacific is twofold. At the moment, we are focusing on um, the movement of drugs from the Americas towards Australia and New Zealand, and also from Southeast Asia through, um, through the Pacific and towards Australia and New Zealand. Uh, but we're not really looking at the movement of precursors through uh, from Asia towards uh, the US, Mexico, uh, and uh, South America. Tavito, with your background in customs and border control, how much do you think our geography in the region, uh, you know, remote islands, soft ocean borders, how does that make it attractive to international criminals uh, and and also in, at the same time make it difficult for law enforcement to detect them. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I think in, in some ways, uh, Jose touched on that uh, just uh, the porous borders and just uh, the huge ocean space that we have uh, in itself. Uh, it, it poses as a challenge, but also an opportunity to, to like I just said, to, to try and hide some of the, the illicit uh, commodities that they bring in. But I think also... What we also need to understand is that uh, the, the Pacific, as, as vulnerable as they are, um, poses uh, a huge opportunity in terms of uh, just the resources that it has. Eh? And when I say that, uh, I mean uh, human resources uh, and also the, uh, you know, just the, um, you've got logging in Solomon, you've got fisheries that, uh, you know, vast ocean. And, uh, you know, we're talking about drugs here. You know, uh, we also have illicit movement of of, uh, of CITES products. Uh, we've got uh, human trafficking that, that continues to happen across the Pacific. Uh, and these are some of the things that, uh, you know, because drug right now sounds to be the, the, the sexy topic, I like to call it. But, you know, there are other things that are happening 
you know, money laundering. You know, if you if you look at it, when I say this, I'm very mindful when I say this, because money laundering and human trafficking are uh, somewhat there, but you know, uh, we tend to be we see it as a sensitive issue. Uh, but it's it's important that we we need to understand that uh, uh, organized crime uh, likes it when enforcement sits that way. Because uh, that's when they can uh, provide a, a volume-based approach into how they move things. Now, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, uh, at uh, uh, this, uh, the drug movement, uh, and one of the things that we always say is that to understand the crime, you need to understand the economics that drives the crime. Uh, you know, just to, to give you perspective on that, you know, you've got uh, $1,400 a kilo of, of cocaine coming from South America. It's 250000 in in Australia. Uh, the transit point is the Pacific. Yeah. So even if all of us collectively uh, stop 80% of that drug coming through, and we, uh, those guys move across 20 or even uh, 90%, and we stop 90, 10% goes through, they still make a profit. So we need to understand that this is, this is what drives them. Uh, and, and a lot of times they say, oh, you know, the vulnerability. For them, it's business opportunity. Uh, criminal syndicates and and, and organized crime, uh, even the crime that happens in in, in Australia, sixty five percent of them has an international dimension, and part of those dimensions are in the Pacific. You know, they they're, they're spread across. Uh, you know, Operation Ironside highlighted uh, the need not only for coordination, but to 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 law enforcement to really change the way it, 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 it approaches this. You know, you look at it from an economical side, the socioeconomic, everything around it uh, and the approach to it needs to, it needs to change. Sorry, I, I, have, I know I've deviated a little, but, you know, sometimes we, we tend to orient around law enforcement on its own. Uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, that uh, we also need to understand is that those that we're up against are very fluid, very dynamic, you know, then, and we, we can't just you know, approach them in, 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 a, in our uh, so-called traditional manner. No, that, that's great. And I'm interested in, in getting to this area around how police tactics are evolving to keep up with, with the challenge. Uh, I'm hearing talk about a, a shift in police approaches that um, we may be moving beyond just law enforcement locally to becoming a bit more active and actually disrupting criminal groups at their source. Is that, is that your sense? And can you talk a little bit about how police tactics are evolving to deal with these escalating challenges? And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use the Fiji example. Uh, Fiji is very fortunate right now that uh, the work that it does for, for, for drugs or law enforcement is, is uh, being coordinated by the Ministry of Defence. So it actually drives the work from a policy space and then it operationalizes it. And Fiji has, has got a framework on, on, uh, on drug trafficking that takes, it, it's got a three-pronged approach. Uh, it's harm reduction, demand reduction, and supply reduction. Eh? And all of those three uh, have got uh, different players that, that, that uh, runs them, but they are, they are all coordinated. Uh, for supply reduction, it's, it's led by police and law enforcement. The demand reduction, however, is, is, is more to do with... Um, Ministry of Youth, Awareness, the NGOs, the CSOs, uh, more preventative approach towards how, uh, you know, drugs has been used. And this, this has been uh, the faith-based organization, the media, the universities, they drive this. Uh, the harm reduction is more driven from uh, social economical side, the Ministry of Health, 
and, uh, and an important part of this is the psychosocial support that goes with um, that, that for rehabilitation and counseling. Prosecution uh, is something that we're also strengthening, uh, where this also coordinates across uh, Fiji's now has a, a narcotic bureau uh, working towards having a narcotic court on its own. And, uh, and, and that's when you ask about the approach, this is really the, 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 the approach that Fiji is taking to be able to, to, to combat uh, drug trafficking. Coming away from just the, the, the traditional uh, law enforcement approach, but having a, a multifaceted approach that takes the, involves the whole of economy, that, that, that involves the, the whole of society, and then and, and more importantly, the private sector. Just picking up on that point from Tavita, uh, Jose, you know, one of these issues that, that Tavita mentioned is is this, the need to grapple with this as a, as a society, not just as a law enforcement issue. Um, and part of this goes to what the, the social safety nets are, if you like, uh, and the availability of treatment and, and detox centres. Do you think governments and church groups, civil society, are they doing enough to educate the population around drug addiction and also to provide those uh, treatment facilities? I think that's a, a great question there, Ben. Um, it's... It, I think the the problem here is not uh, whether they're doing enough. Um, they're in the in the Pacific region, of course. Traditional power structures um, such as you know, the chief of systems, the church, um, and even uh, civil society uh, have always been one of the, the one of the main safety nets um, for for Pacific um, communities uh, and society. Uh, and what we have seen several initiatives attempting to uh, to deal and, and to target um, this issue. The biggest uh, challenge that they have is funding. Uh, at the moment, currently, the the largest um, initiative in regards to drug treatment, and, and uh, it, I use large uh, in, uh, in, in, I suppose, um, in the industry, a different, a different. Uh, the the largest in the region is uh, from the Salvation Army, uh, but it, it that but that uh, uh, program in itself is struggling for funding, and I think uh, you know, that's where regional partners um, can actually uh, support, identify, support, uh, and fund, uh, and work with uh, these um, organisations that are on the ground that are addressing this issue um, to reinforce. Um, and to uh, empower traditional power structures which are being eroded and which are under pressure um, uh, by these international criminal syndicates and also by local gangs. Um, as we st- also, as we start to see the youth uh, falling by the wayside, falling into uh, this uh, cycle of drug addiction, um, of, uh, of joining the gangs and violence, as you have a weaker uh, traditional power structure, there is no safety net to bring these uh, high-risk uh, youth back into uh, the communities. Just to finish up on the, the drug aspect, I guess, to the conversation, uh, many would say that the war on drugs has failed globally and that we need to look at drug use primarily as a social and a health issue rather than a criminal one. Um, there's always a danger that when you put young people in jail for petty drug use, 
you run the risk of, of turning them into hardened criminals at the end of it. A number of countries, including the US, have been moving pretty rapidly to decriminalise drugs. What are, what are your thoughts, both of you, in terms of the war on drugs and, and, and whether there's room within the Pacific to take a new approach that, that takes on board these social issues and, and harm minimization, shall we say? Yeah, harm minimization, the, the socioeconomical harm eh, that, 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 that's caused by... And I, I like the fact that you um, you mentioned that because um, if you look at the, the prison population here in Fiji, we've got uh, 40% of those that are there are between the age of 17 to, to 34. So, you know, you've got a, a young population that's sitting in there um, you know, I don't have the numbers in terms of uh, what percentage are drug-related, but it, it's quite quite a, a huge number around that. And uh, there's, if you look at our um, uh, uh, also speaking, is usually the mentally challenged. Sixty percent that are there are drug-related. You know, and if you monetize the harm, you monetize the harm in terms of how that translates itself. Uh, into society, the social economical harm, you know, in the, uh, the, the crime that's created because of, of, of the drug-related crimes. And it's, it, in, in a small economy like Fiji and in the Pacific, this is huge, Tonga, around the, the north. Uh, and, and, and that's why, you know, I, it's not that I'm trying to advocate the approach that Fiji is taking. That's why you really need to, uh, to, to look at it from, from a, a totally different lens. Uh, you know, you've got to involve society. There's a lot of information that's sitting in society. Um, you know, I, I gave you the example of the informal settlement. 20% of our population sits in the informal settlement. You know, the the, the approach that, um, the, like what Jose said, the, the, the traditional power structures, the, the, the churches, the, um, those in the community, engaging them uh, and, and, and involving them. Because for them, they, they, they see law enforcement totally different. You know, they, they, they don't like law enforcement coming in. So they, they've changed their approach. They uh, they use the strength of the community to be able to change. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's it's, it's worth the shot. It's something that uh, right now Fiji is doing, uh, working with CSOs, working with uh, uh, different uh, church groups and uh, youth groups and different communities to be able to engage them in that way. Because this is, we always say this, this is the battle of our generation. There's no coming back from this. And that's why we, we, we're giving it our 150%. We, we're trying everything that we think uh, might work. You know, it's just because our only strength right now is we don't have the funds like what Jose said. It's draw into your traditional uh, uh, forte, which is using the, the existing power structures in how best we can uh, advocate for some of these things. Eh? Thanks, Tavita. Jose, do you think we need a new approach to the war on drugs? Um, I think... Uh, one of the, the main points, uh, I think I, I agree exactly with what uh, Tavita said in, in leading on from that. Uh, you mentioned in regards to the dec- decriminalisation um, of, uh, of drugs uh, and whether you know, which the, 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 the continued route of, uh, of incarceration for youths which uh, have been arrested and charged with drug crimes should be the way to, to continue. And I think that's something that, uh, that definitely needs to be looked at. Uh, but... Uh, decriminalization of drugs is something that uh, that that uh, because it, that although it might work in certain Western countries, it might it needs to be looked through a Pacific lens, uh, and maybe certain Pacific island states are not ready uh, or, or willing to accept um, 
the decriminalization of drugs and, and how that would impact uh, not only their society, their communities, but also their own national identity. Uh, so I think ha- having having uh, you know, people who are arrested um, for drug uh, crimes or who are then incarcerated for drug crimes, uh, but who are, who then have to go through a, a program whilst you're incarcerated where they uh, uh, have to well they have to go through um, the drug detox education uh, and then maybe given uh, work skills so that once they're released they do not go back to their their life uh, they have uh, different opportunities to head towards I think that is a, a much better road to take um, than to 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 follow a one size fits all uh, Western approach or template uh, to be put into the Pacific. Thanks very much, Jose and Tavita. We'll leave it there for this episode and continue our chat in part two of this revealing conversation around transnational crime in the Pacific. That wraps up another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder. You can find us on our website, pacificsecurity.net, and our Facebook page for the Australia Pacific Security College. Our theme music is the song Tabaran by Not Drowning Waving. And thanks to Liam Taylor for producing this episode. I'm Ben Bohane. Tune in next time to the Pacific Wayfinder.